0: Welcome back into a new edition of the Locked On Nuggets podcast. I am your temporary host, TJ McBride from MyAliSports.com. You can find me on Twitter at TJ McBrideNBA. Um, for the time being, as I have been doing for the past week, I am filling in for Adam Matas. He will be back. He is just currently in Italy, enjoying an extravagant time over there instead of staying up into the wee hours of the morning to watch FIBA basketball like the rest of us psychopaths. So, Adam will be back on Monday. You'll be able to hear his takes about everything that has happened. That has happened in the Nuggets world very soon, but until then, you are still stuck with me. Um, so, we're going to talk about a few different things in this show. I want to talk about Serbia beating USA um, in a game that should have been a lot more exciting than it was just because it was played in the loser's bracket. The winner only got an opportunity to get 5th place out of 8 teams in for this game, so there wasn't a whole lot of... Um, I guess the narrative surrounding it and the excitement was just significantly less than everybody hoped it would have been. For this to end up in a consolation bracket as opposed to being one of the marquee matchups in a semifinal or final round, um, that, that's frustrating. It is what it is though. Um, we'll talk about Serbia beating the USA. We'll talk about the USA struggling what went through there. And then what I want to do in the second segment is just look at the USA and how they're going to have to go about the FIBA World Cup from this point forward. I think this year is likely going to be a transition period for for USA Basketball going forward as it pertains to... specifically the FIBA World Cup. Um, I'll answer four questions that I think are important. And we'll kind of get into that. Uh, lastly, in the third segment, we'll talk about the fact that the Spanish national team and Juancho Hernan Gomez has beaten Australia in double overtime in what is one of the most classic FIBA World Cup games ever, in my opinion. If you missed this game, you missed out on an absolute classic of a game. that was incredible amounts of fun. So we'll talk about Spain beating Australia in double overtime to get to the gold medal game, before also talking about Argentina smashing France, who beat the USA team and knocked them out of medal contention. Just Argentina just smashed them, thanks to the forever skill set of Luis Scola and the steady uh, production of F- uh, Facundo Campazzo. So we'll talk about those two games, and then we'll briefly hit on the gold medal game coming up, which will be Argentina versus Spain, before ending the show, and you guys can finally get rid of my voice. But... Let's just dive into it. Let's talk about Serbia beating USA in the losers bracket, 94-89. to If anybody was not awake to watch this game to start, but woke up after the first quarter, I'm sure there was quite a bit of shock in the Twitter world. Serbia led 32-7 to after the first quarter of play. And really, it looked like the USA team had no idea what was going on. They got absolutely blitzed by Serbia. Um... Of course, things mellowed out from that point further. USA did much better for the rest of the game. They ended up winning quarters one through three by uh, by 20 points. It was 82 to 62 in quarters two, three, and four. Um, but that first quarter was just too much to overcome for them. Bogdan Bogdanovich was once again incredible. 28 points, 4 rebounds, 6 assists, 10 of 17 from the field, 7 of 14 from 3. At this point right now, there is a very real argument that Bogdan Bogdanovich has been the best player at FIBA World Cup in the entire tournament. Um, There's a couple other names that are going to be thrown out there. Yvonne Fournier has been very good, averaging like 25 and 5 right now. Additionally, Louis Scola has been fantastic as he has been all tournament he's averaging like sixteen and eight seventeen and eight right now and this is coming after the fact that he absolutely sunned Rudy Gobert who was the Achilles heel for the USA team in the quarterfinals so we'll end up i'll talk more about Louis Scola in the future but or in the rest of this podcast, but it was very Bogdan Bogdanovich put himself in the elite level of player in the FIBA World Cup. Nikola Jokic was not as good as him. Um, you have uh, Giannis Atentakumpo, who was not as good as him, in my opinion. There were so many players who have a bigger prestige around them, but did not carry the production value that Bogdan Bogdanovich did. And in addition to that, his consistency was wild. He was every single night coming out and putting up 24-4. and He was so good in this tournament, and hopefully this will be a jumping point for him to be able to take another leap forward as a player going into the 2019-20 NBA season. If he takes a leap as a player like Buddy Heal did for the Kings last year, suddenly the Kings are, are potentially a very realistic playoff contender in the Western Conference. And Bogdan Bogdanovich taking a leap will be the reason why they get there. So... I cannot wait to see how he transfers forward, but again, he, in my opinion, has been the best player at FIBA World Cup. Uh, Jokic was strong, I wouldn't say he was overwhelming for people, but overall... 9 points, 3 rebounds, 7 assists, 0 turnovers, hit 3 of his 4 shots in his 21 minutes of play. So pretty much just, you know, he was out there and did what Jokic does. Um, Foul trouble kept him from playing a little bit more emphatically. Um, He had 4 fouls by the end of this game, I believe, so that really kept him from just overpowering people down low. But it just is what it is. Um, Also... Serbia's coach finally decided to make better decisions with his rotation. Um, no Marko Gudric, no uh, Miroslav Raduljica. Nikola Jokic and, and Milunatov started together, which basically allowed Nikola Jokic to play as the de facto center at that point. Uh, They started Lucic at three, Vladimir Lucic, which was a much better decision. He hit three of his four threes, defended everywhere, had a hell of a block in this game, and then they benched Nemanja Bielica, who has been struggling badly. Those decisions by Sasa Jorgovic was huge, in my opinion. So to see them finally which it it is too little too late but to see them make the decision that they needed to make it was promising for the future because for a while there it was looking like there might not be a future for Sasha Jojovic as the future head coach of the Serbian national team we'll see how that plays out going forward but he did make better decisions and beating USA is going to help his case in my opinion um overall though Team USA played well This was not a Serbia was just significantly better. This was Serbia absolutely handled them in the first quarter. Um, the Team USA, they were plus 8 rebounding. They had 20 assists against 5 turnovers. They had 3 more free throws. Um, they, so their free throw scoring, they were plus 3. Um, really, they just struggled hitting shots in the first quarter. They finished shooting 43.7% from the field. Donovan Mitchell was 4 of 12. Joe Harris was 1 of 6. In that first quarter, they, have, they were 3 of 16 from the field and 1 of 6 from 3. They went scoreless for 5 minutes and 57 seconds. That's not did not get a bucket. That's did not score score a single point for almost six minutes of play in a 10 minute quarter that's just absolutely a it's brutal there's no way to come back from that and that's exactly what happened uh credit to the usa team for fighting back though it's hard i'm sure to be an nba athlete and already play in the the best level of talent in the world in the NBA go to international playoff all of these star players drop out be playing for a fifth medal uh, or a fifth place position get blown out in the first quarter 32 to 7 and still have the pride to fight back into this game USA then won the second quarter, 33 to 12, after losing the first quarter, 32 to 7, and then they won quarters two, three, and four again by 20 points. It was 82 to 62 in quarters two, three, and four. So the USA team deserves credit. They went through a lot of crap. Um, they did not have a strong team. It was, and then they also faced arguably the most talented international field that has been out there in decades. So those all those things coming together really. It, it, it hurt the USA players in terms of their perception, despite the fact that the Reign Defensive Player of the Year is playing for the Greek national team, despite the fact that Nikola Jokic, all-NBA first-team center in the NBA, is playing for Serbia, despite the fact that Sergio Lull should absolutely be in the NBA and is arguably a starting-caliber point guard at the NBA level, is still playing for the Spanish national team and is playing for Real Madrid otherwise. The NBA talent and that level of talent is so much more plentiful right now in international play and i think that's why you saw these um multiple different factors all coming together to lead to the usa's inevitable demise so it, it, while they did lose and it does it is frustrating and they do have the talent where they should have been able to beat these teams This is is how things go, and they deserve credit for going out there and sticking their necks out there and doing what they can to bring a gold medal to the USA despite the fact that they are giving up their offseason and, and in Marcus Smart's case, their health to be able to get there. So, USA deserves more credit than they've been given despite the fact that they did lose. Um, We're going to take our first break and then dive into some conversations that I want to have about USA basketball because there are some serious questions to have suddenly going forward. So, we'll be back in one second.
1: Locked On NBA, available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.
0: So now that... Team USA has had their worst ever start in FIBA because they cannot finish better than seventh. They can finish as bad as eighth out of eight teams that made the quarterfinals. Um, now that we know that this is the worst team that USA has ever fielded in the FIBA World Cup or the World Championships as it was originally called. What happens next? Where? What? Where? Where do they go from here? Is this the start of a worse Team USA than there has been in the years and decades before this, or is this just a blip on the map? That's really the interesting question now. Looking forward, and. Because of that, i got three questions I want to ask. Was Team USA that bad, or has the international competition improved that much? Um, With FIBA taking place the year before the Olympics, are a lot of NBA stars going to continually choose to skip the FIBA World Cup, and then will stars still choose to play in the Olympics? Those are three questions that I think have to be asked now that Team USA has fallen from grace so drastically as they have in this tournament. So let's start with the first. Was Team USA that bad or has the international competition improved that much? And I think the argument here is that both are true. Um, From the international competition point of view, this might be the golden age for foreign-born players outside of the United States of America in terms of their basketball talent. As things stand right now, the two centers who are essentially the only two centers that are argued as the best bigs in basketball, Joel Embiid and Nikola Jokic, are both internationally born. Nikola Jokic obviously playing for Serbia. Joel Embiid is from Cameroon and will likely play in the Olympics for Cameroon. Additionally, to round out the top three centers in basketball, Rudy Gobert is French and just got done beating the USA team a couple days ago. In addition to that, you have Giannis Antetokounmpo playing for Greece. You have so many players that are internationally gifted. You have Luka Doncic, who is playing for Slovenia. And there are so many good players on the international circuit, whether they're NBA players or not, that are skewing these numbers and ways that I have not seen before granted I'm only 26 years old so I don't get to see this stuff with the same type of uh, longevity that others have but this feels like the most talented international pool of players that has ever existed we'll have to wait and see if that stays that way but as things stand right now the USA teams are facing the toughest competition internationally they have ever faced before additionally i think team USA was that bad this year i i don't know if they were as bad as um you know losing in the quarterfinals kind of bad but I think that the fact of the matter is, is that they had significantly less talent on their roster than they have had in years and decades before. And the biggest reason for that is because the FIBA World Cup now takes place a, the year before the Olympics. And this is a very easy segue into the next question, which is with FIBA taking place the year before the Olympics, will a lot of NBA players continue to choose to skip the FIBA World Cup? And I think that it will. And I think it will continually lead to the to the USA team having less talent on their their roster for the World Cup what is happening is this If you're going to play in the World Cup and the Olympics, this is what your two and a half year schedule looks like. You will play your NBA season from October till June, whenever you, if you're a playoff team, till June. You will then report to training camp in July for the World Cup for whatever international team you're playing for. You will then start your tournament and play all the way through the World Cup, leading basically straight into training camp for the following season. You will then have training camp for the NBA team, play for your NBA team again from October till June. Go right into training camp for the Olympics, play the Olympics for your home country, and then go right back into training camp again for the following season. You're talking about playing essentially two and a half to three years straight of basketball without any kind of rest or full off season in the middle. So because of that, star players are seemingly having to choose between the Olympics and between FIBA World Cup. And for these star players who have branding to think about, who have a lot of endorsement deals to think about, who have their own public image to think about, it makes a lot more sense to stay rested and not play FIBA, let the rest of the NBA players who choose to play for that FIBA team qualify, and then go play in the Olympics to be able to go get the branding and the endorsement love that your brands want and also get the national and international recognition for yourself. It just makes more sense that way for these star level players. Why would LeBron James risk getting hurt in the FIBA world play, play for three and a half years at 36 years old or whatever he is, to then go play in the Olympics and potentially get hurt? Why not just take FIBA off, wait for the Olympics, and then get everything anyway? So I think that this is the start of a new type of FIBA World Cup USA team. I think what this is going to turn into is mostly young players and a lot of G League players who are going to come together, who fit much better together, not in a pure talent acquisition sense as the roster construction was this year, but in terms of what needs the team rostered needs in terms of its construction and what this team will eventually turn into as a qualifying team for the Olympics. That is honestly how I see this playing out in the long run. So we'll see if that actually happens, but I do think that star players, will continually skip FIBA play. It's just hard to play two and a half to three years straight through basketball without an offseason. Players' bodies can't handle it. It is the matter of the fact. You see what happens in the WNBA with so many of these women who are fantastic what they do professionally but don't get paid enough at, in the WNBA and have to go play overseas to make more money. And, they're, and the injuries end up spiking so much more for the players that do that because they're not getting the rest that they deserve. So I do think that we're going to see a lot of that coming our way in terms of Team USA basketball, and we'll have to just wait and see if there's going to be a moment in time in which that changes, but the way that it stands with FIBA playing the year before the Olympics, it's hard to ask star players to put three and a half years of straight basketball on their bodies. It's just a lot for them to stomach. So, that leads us into the next question. Will the stars still choose to play at the Olympics, and will they even be able to? Because you see Jerry Colangelo, who built the roster for Team USA for FIBA, saying that he'll remember who didn't come and chose not to play in the FIBA World Cup when it comes to building the Olympics. First of all, that's trash. Jerry Colangelo trying to get on this, you know, high and holy horse of his as if he is just able to be like, no, we don't need you, LeBron James. We don't need you, Paul George. We don't need you, Kyrie Irving. It's foolish. It's completely foolish. If Paul George called him today and was like, hey, man, I'd like to play in the Olympics, Jerry Colangelo would be like, you know what? Absolutely, here is your spot, because the idea of giving up that talent, and players like that, out of pure pride, after having the worst FIBA World Cup in US history, it is completely tomfoolery, it's it's tomfoolery, I don't get it, it's foolish, it drives me crazy, this is just Jerry Colangelo, in my opinion, being very, very, very high and mighty right now, and I would bet almost anything, that any star player, James Harden, Russell Westbrook, whoever you want to put in there, if they wanted to play for Team USA, they will play for Team USA, and I imagine they will, because Nike, Adidas, Under Armour, Jordan brand, all of these different brands that are affiliated with these players have so much money to gain by being on the international level in the Olympics for just overall branding and exposure. So... I absolutely think stars will choose to play in the Tokyo Olympics, and I absolutely think Jerry Colangelo trying to go out here and get all high and mighty is ridiculous. So I do think that both of those things will be true and that we will see the star players play in the Olympics. We're going to take a quick break. We'll come back. We'll talk about Spain beating – who was Spain? I can't even remember anymore. Spain beat Australia, and we'll talk about Argentina beating France before a quick look at the gold medal game. We'll be right back in a second. let's get back into talking about the actual basketball that was played at the World Cup because a Nuggets player was involved in a very important game today and Juancho Hernan Gomez and the Spanish national team are now headed to the gold medal game after beating Australia in double overtime if you missed this game you missed a classic international game this was so much fun first of all Australia was playing extremely well in the first three and four three to four quarters they did have falling off points here and there but spain had to scrap to get into overtime and to get into double overtime but they managed to so once they got into double overtime i don't want to spend too much time on the first four quarters just because so much happened in those double overtime periods but Spain took over, man. Like, Honestly, the backcourt of Spain took over. Sergio Lowell and Ricky Rubio played in both overtime periods, and they combined to assist or score every single made basket in both overtime periods. Their ability to put Spain on their back and create looks for their teammates and keep their offense moving in the right direction, and to hit threes and space the floor and defend the way that they did, it saved them and when you look at what at the kind of numbers that Sergio Lowell and Ricky Rubio were able to to uh, accumulate together they combined to score 36 points grab 9 rebounds and dish out 8 assists. Rubio had 19 points, 7 boards, and 12 assists to go with 4 steals. Sergio Lola had 17 points, 2 boards, and 6 dimes. Just an absolutely incredible game from their backcourt despite the fact that they did miss so many shots. That has to be thrown out at this point because 18 assists and I believe 6 steals between them It's just absolutely incredible numbers. And then as the cherry on top, Marc Gasol forever, man. Marc Gasol had 33 points, 6 rebounds, 4 assists, had 7 points in the first overtime period by himself to keep Spain in the game. He was absolutely instrumental to this victory for them. Between those three players, Marcus o, Sergio Lowell and Ricky Rubio, they kept Spain alive. They scored like 80% of their points. You're talking about 69 points between those three players. That's absolutely incredible for what they were able to accomplish. So Spain is headed to, to gold. By the way, Australia deserves a lot of credit. They were in they were very, very good. Patty Mills was awesome and to not be you know <laughs> the absolute best part of this game was the post game interview that their that the head coach of the Australian national team gave go look up Ogan Luke on Twitter he has the um the story up there the, the way that he described what the basketball gods do to Spain is not something I can even say on this podcast, because it is so vulgar. So make sure you go find that. It was absolutely hysterical, and that was probably my favorite part of this game. But we got to talk about Juancho Hernan Gomez, who obviously is the Nuggets' connection to the Spanish national team. Um, I wouldn't say he was a gigantic difference maker, not like Sergio Lowe, Ricky Rubio, and Marc Gasol were, but eight points, four rebounds, two steals, three of six from the field 2 of 4 from 3 um, played 22 minutes had some very strong defense helped hold Joe Ingles to 1 of 9 from the field that suffocated the def- the offense of Australia and, that, and Wancho was a big part of that so overall I thought it was a very good game for Wancho Hernan Gomez who needed to show that he has been improving in ways the Nuggets need him to improve and I would say so far in this tournament with the gold medal game still to go Wancho has looked like a better defender he has been an extremely consistent shooter and on top of that he has looked extremely mobile and healthy so overall everything about this game was awesome from spain winning to where we can continue watching juancho on this stage from the double overtime classic nature of the game from the big three of ricky rubio sergio lola marcus Sol just handling business and the fact that australia was great in their own right patty mills deserves so much credit for being awesome in this tournament but I digress. Let's move forward to Argentina and France. Argentina is the Cinderella story of this tournament. They were 100 to 1 odds to win the tournament before it began, and here they are headed to the gold medal game. Argentina didn't just beat France. They won every single quarter. They fundamentally dismantled the French national team in a way that they have not been dismantled in this tournament. And this is a French national team that absolutely handled the USA team. So, we have to start with Luis Scola. Luis Scola gave Rudy Gobert the absolute businessman. Like, this was... Rudy Gobert is arguably the best defender in basketball anywhere in the world. Rudy Gobert was the reason that Team USA could not do anything against France. And Luis Scola went out there at 39 years old without playing the NBA in the past few few years and had 28 points, 13 rebounds, and 2 assists and was a plus 10 despite playing at center Despite the fact that he was a power forward for most of his career, and despite the fact that Rudy Gobert has been a rim-rolling terror and a defensive demon all all tournament long. So, Luis Scola absolutely handled Rudy Gobert. But it wasn't just that. It wasn't just that Luis Scola was so good offensively. <laughs> Luis Scola helped hold Rudy Gobert to those three points, and France's pick and roll game was literally their bread and butter when it comes to Evan Fournier Facu- uh, and um, and Frank Kilikeyna running pick and roll with Rudy Gobert. That it, it it fundamentally couldn't work, and Gobert only ended up with three points in this game. Um, I said in the last Locked Nuggets podcast that Facundo Campazzo had to be great for Argentina to win and I was clearly wrong. Facundo Campazzo was good but he was not efficient at all. I believe he was 6 of 19 shooting from the field. Had 12.7 rebounds, 6 assists but his defense at the point of attack and the pick and roll on Evan Fournier and on Frank T. Lachina was incredible. That's why he was a plus 19 in this game. Um, so I think that's an extremely important thing to note is that Luis Scola and Facundo Campazzo were able to defend the Evan Fournier-Rudy Gobert pick and roll attack. That sentence alone makes no sense to me on paper, but yet it absolutely happened, and that is why Argentina is going to be facing off with Spain in the gold medal game. Um, Also, A big reason why France lost this game was that they got no auxiliary scoring help from their three biggest scorers, Nando DiColo, Evan Fournier, uh, and then uh, Nicolas Batum. Nicolas Batum, Evan Fournier, and Nando DiColo combined to shoot 9 of 28 from the field and 2 of 15 from 3. That was just not enough help to be able to provide for their team to get them over the hump, and that's what allowed Argentina to continually keep extending their lead and win every single quarter of this game. So now let's look forward, because the gold medal game is set. Argentina will take on Spain for everything. The winner gets gold, the loser gets silver. Uh, there's a lot of interesting matchups here. Obviously, Ricky Rubio has been fantastic defensively in this tournament, and Facundo Campazzo has been fantastic offensively, and honestly, he's been very underrated on D. That matchup at point guard is going to be super interesting to me, because... Well, see, this is the thing. I already said that Facundo Compasso has to be great for Argentina to beat France. Compasso was just all right, and they absolutely handled France. So while I want to say that Compasso has to get the better of Rubio for Argentina to win, that may not be the case anymore. Um, What I will say, though, is that limiting Ricky Rubio's ability to create as a playmaker is going to be very important, which means Campazo has to stay in front of him and pick and rolls and dribble handoffs. Um, if he can do that, he can keep the defense from collapsing, which means there won't be open three-point shooters like Juancho Hernan Gomez and Rudy Fernandez to hit shots and extend their lead. So I think Campazo's defense on Rubio is going to be more important than whatever offensive output he can get out. Um, the other exciting matchup, and this is the one that's, you know, individually I'm like giddy about is Marcus Sola versus Luis Scola. This is like. This is all of the veteran savvy versus all of the veteran savvy possible, and I cannot wait to see what happens right now. I don't know what's going to happen. Um, what I do know is that Marc Gasol is a better defender than Luis Scola, and I would say Marc Gasol is technically a better offensive player, but throughout this FIBA World Cup, I have been proven wrong in that regard. Um, I do think Gasol has the advantage over Luis Scola, just like I think Ricky Rubio has an advantage over Facundo Campazzo. but at this point, Argentina continually keeps making people like me look very, very stupid, and I would not be surprised if they somehow turn this into a positive for them. Uh, the other one I'm interested to see is Juancho Hernan Gomez versus Gabriel Deck. Uh, Gabriel Deck has been very underrated for what he has provided to Argentina in this tournament. So, will Juancho Hernan Gomez play too lightly against gabriel deck or will wancho really take it seriously and try and limit his three-point shooting his defending his uh, and his ability to get to the rim if those things can happen if compositor scola and deck all lose their matchups this should be spain's game to, to lose uh we'll have to just wait and see but at this point I have to agree with the host of the Locked On Nuggets podcast, Adam Matas, that the Spanish national team has the best odds to win this game and to win the tournament. Adam called this before the quarterfinals that Spain was going to win gold, and here we are. He might be there, and it's going to be so interesting to see if it works out, but... That's it. Um, I do want to say thank you to everybody for sticking around and dealing with me. I know it was four weird shows without Adam, but I had so much fun doing it. I love this podcast. Adam's a good friend of mine. So being able to help him go run off to Italy makes me happy as a person. But overall, this is just a joy to be able to talk about basketball with so many other people and be able to share all of my own thoughts about international basketball that's played in the middle of the night. It's insane to me that that's my job, and it wouldn't be my job without all of the listeners who take in all Denver Nuggets content. ...regardless of whatever outlet people work for so thank you to all of the listeners all of the readers all the nuggets fans out there who have allowed me to continue doing this for a job it means the world to me i've had so much fun doing this podcast but you probably won't be hearing from me for quite a while unless adam unwisely asked me to come on the show with him so we'll have to just wait and see adam will be back on monday but this has been the locked on nuggets podcast i have been your temporary host tj mcbride of mile high sports thank you guys so much for listening to me we'll talk to you guys later